Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Matthew 16, verse 18. And the word of the Lord says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Lord, bless the hearing and reading of your word in Jesus' name, and you may be seated. We talked about Jesus coming onto the coast of Caesarea Philippi last week, and that's what's going on here. And he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Because God's interested in your opinion of him. Amen? Um, individually, he's interested in your opinion of God. Who do, who do you say that he is to you? He wants to know, uh, what's, what's, what am I to you? How important am I to you? And so he asked them, who do men say that I am? And others just started chiming in on rumors. Everybody say rumors. Because there, there's always rumors surrounding somebody who makes a big impact. Amen? In fact, the scripture talks about Jesus' fame. And it uses the word fame three times when associated with Jesus Christ. In the original translations, the Paleo-Hebrew actually translates the first word fame used for Jesus as rumors. And then the second time the word fame shows up for Jesus, it's translated as a roar. It had grown into a roar, literal roar. And then the third time you see the, the word rumors translated in the scripture, it actually means the word logos. Anybody ever heard the word logos in the Greek? Logos is the same word used in 1 John where it says, in the beginning was the word or the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So rumors that turned into a roar, an uproar, an impact, gave the opportunity for Jesus to share the Logos, the truth, the word. So sometimes whenever there's opinions being shared, Jesus will step right past the opinions and the rumors and step right into truth, amen, right into revelation. And that's what he did with his disciples right here. He's like, who do men say that I am? And some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Everybody know who Elijah is? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, the prophet. And Jesus said, yeah, but, but who do you say that I am? And, and then all of a sudden, Peter gets real bold because he tends to do that on a regular basis. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so Jesus replies immediately to that revelation. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my father which is in heaven. And that is a key to unlocking something very powerful. And he told Peter that upon this rock, that revelation, that key that you understood through the revelation, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be the foundation upon which I build my church, that I'm God in flesh. So that is the opening remarks today for this particular series that we talked about last time. But how many no keys open doors? How many no keys make access points available to you? How many no keys lock doors behind you? Amen. That's what was we were. That's what we were talking about with this one particular key. And today we want to talk about a different key, and that is the key of repentance. Everyone say repentance. That's a really important word in the scripture because this entire Bible is one big, long, tragic, and triumphant tale of people returning or repenting. Amen. That's what this whole book is all about. It's just continually over and over again. God drawing his people back to him. Because we have a tendency to have a heart that wanders off. Amen? Anybody ever raise any children? 
Have any children that like to wander off? You turn around, they're like gone. You have that mom shock moment or that like, where did they go? And you turn around, they're, they're playing in the fount, water fountain or something like that. Um, that. That's one of those things that we tend to do as children of God. We tend to wander off on God. And he has many different ways for us to draw back near to him or come near to him. But some of the keys I want to talk to you about today. Is that all right? All right. So let's get into this today. And that anchor scripture that we read is the place where he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So let's take down our next key, which we're not hitting all these today. Don't worry. So if I run long, you're not like, oh, dear Lord, he's got two more. No, we're just doing one key each week. We have four different sermons. So if we're going to deal this key. Let's see if I can do this. All right. Give me a big hand for not knocking over the flower piece. That was mad skills right there. Right, Josiah? Mad skills? That's how I say that. All right. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. And so whenever the people had gathered in Jerusalem and the Spirit was poured out, he stood up and he used the key that God had given, given him. And he said that in Acts chapter 2, that you must repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you and your children, and as many as the Lord our God shall call. How many know God's still calling people? Amen. How many want to be called by God? The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. I at least want to be in the called, but I'd also like to really move over into the chosen. But I'm going to teach you today how to become the chosen of God. How many feel like you've been passed over? Anybody ever feel like you've been left behind or passed over or somebody got more in the kingdom than you did and somehow you sit on the backside of the desert like Moses and like David, you know, just keeping sheep and don't seem to ever have an open door like some people and they seem to have all the keys but you don't seem to find that set of keys? I want to tell you the set of keys today for you to get into the place where God chooses you and not just calls you is a key called repentance, a spirit of repentance. A spirit of repentance is very important because it allows you to be corrected. Everyone say corrected. It gives you the spirit where someone can come to you and say that's incorrect. This is correct. And you receive that correction and you're a teachable spirit. Amen. So Acts, in Acts, we're talking about different uh, prophecies being fulfilled through Peter. And so whenever Whenever he finishes preaching that gospel message about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of those men were convicted in their heart. And so then Peter gives them the key to the kingdom. He's like, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. And so he starts with repentance. And that's what we're going to start with today. He starts with repentance because, yes, it begins with faith, but it's based on repentance. Everyone say, based on repentance. We received, we, we believe in faith. Now, you have to understand in the Judean times, in the scripture, believing and action were the exact same thing to them. There was no separation between believing something and doing something. If you believed it, that means you were acting upon it. They literally took what was taught to them and said, okay, let's go and do it because that's how I show that I believe it, okay? Now, that's, that's not true in American churches. You can believe a lot of things according to people that are in uh, modern-day Christendom that have a mental ascent. That didn't come to us until Greco-Roman times. The Greeks believed you could have a mental ascent to something without ever acting upon it. That was a Grecian type of thinking, Roman Greco. And so when we come to the scriptures, we have to go all the way back to where the revelation began, where Peter starts preaching with the keys in his hand to the kingdom, amen? So he puts them in the 
door, opens the door, and he says, you've got to repent. You need to be baptized. You need to be filled with the Spirit. That's what he says. And so when he gives those keys over, we have to realize that we need to start with the first action he gives. If we're going to believe what he says, we need to start with the first action. Amen? Amen. And are you still with me? Okay, I'm not trying to go too fast. I know I talk fast when I get excited. I'll try to keep it nice and slow, but if not, listen to it online. Okay, <laughs> received in baptism. So we, it's based on repentance. It's received in baptism and testified to by the Holy Spirit. We are starting this series, and we dealt with faith last time. We're dealing with repentance today, and so let's look at it with the understanding that repentance in our spirit is just as important in faith as it is in action. We have to act out repentance in our life. Amen? If you believe you need to repent, then you have to act out that, that belief. So we look at this today. Repentance is foundational to the Great Commission. Luke 24 and 46 through 48, we have some scriptures to read. Then he said unto them, this is New King James that I'm reading. Thus it is written, you can see it right over here. Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance, everyone say repentance. And remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. I personally am convinced that one of the most effective yet most challenging messages that we can preach in this present culture that we live in the is the message of repentance. The, 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 the thing that changes culture is not a, a message that's easily digested. I, I want you to know that. The most compatible messages don't make an impact with our culture. If we're coddling and we're loving on them, that's great because God is love. I understand that, but I'm not coming to you with a message that is just a message of love and when you're touched by it, you're changed by it, true, but I'm coming to you with a message of contrast. Rarely do we get a message of true repentance in the pulpit in the 21st century, amen? Because people cannot necessarily embrace it as easily as they did in other cultures and other times. People understood that you have to repent. Luke 5.32 said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Someone said, Amen. Do you need, my mom used to ask me this, do you need an attitude adjustment? Anybody ever heard that? Did you ever get that? My mom was the kind of mom that loved me with corporal punishment. <laughs> she believed that um, that if I couldn't get it here, or here, then I needed to have something else warmed up to get it. And so she would, she would let me know that I was on my way to that warm-up by saying, do you need an attitude adjustment? And, and I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever said, I am never going to say the things my mother said to my kids. Do you need me to give you something to cry about? You know, just things that she would say. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Something to cry about. You just, I, I don't even understand. And then, you know, 20 years later, I find myself almost saying the same things to my children. Do you need an attitude adjustment? <laughs> what are you, you know, what are you thinking? I don't know. But sometimes we do need an adjustment. Amen. A Holy Ghost just adjustment. We need a checkup from the head, neck up. Have you ever heard that one? Do you need a checkup from the neck up? And so sometimes God needs to change our thinking on some things. And so he, he actually gives us a major adjustment. Jesus did not preach, nor did he call the church to preach a message of moderate lifestyle adjustment. It wasn't moderate lifestyle adjustment. We live in a culture that views Christianity as an addition of Christ 
to our life or the addition of the dimensions of Jesus Christ that he wants to give us. But that is not the message of Christ at all to his apostles. The key that I'm talking about today that Peter used on Pentecost was the key of repentance. Before they could identify with Christ or be partakers of his spirit, they would first be a there would first be a genuine move of repentance. Anybody ever heard of some of the old like ladder rain movements and some of the old repentance movements where they thought you had to tarry, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit? Have you ever heard of anybody ever studied some of that stuff? They would literally put people on the front rows and they would have them wait or tarry and pray for hours. It was it was like well you need at least four hours of tarrying before you could seek the Holy Spirit. It was it was a little bit confusing to a lot of people, but you know what? Times of transition are always confusing. Whenever God's Spirit started to be poured out on the church, there's always going to be something that's confusing or man interprets it the wrong way and it just takes a little time for the Word of God and, and for God's Spirit to start adjusting man. But if we keep a repentive spirit, there's nothing wrong with tearing in God's presence. They weren't doing anything wrong. They just didn't necessarily understand that if you repent with all your heart and ask God, please forgive me and confess your sins. He is faithful, the scripture says, and to forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us. I'm thankful for a just God. Amen. I'm thankful for his justice, but when I have accidentally done an injustice to somebody else, I'm thankful for his blood that I don't have to pay for that injustice because it was put on him at the cross, amen? I don't have to stand in front of him and pay for every single thing that I've done wrong because it's covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful for the justice of the crucifixion, amen? Because I believe I can repent because he died for me. It's recognition. You've got to recognize that you need to change something in your life. And then you need to truly have some remorse. You need to have godly sorrow, the scripture says. And then you, of course, need to confess your sins to God. And the, the word repentance in scripture is metaneo, which means to change your mind or repent or literally turn around, do a U-turn. And, and whenever you confess your sins, you need to turn away from it. And then you need to renounce those things. And some of us do things by commission. It means that we actively made a thought that I'm going to go do this thing and it was a sin and some of us do things by omission we just simply didn't know or didn't understand or didn't even know we're sinning there's some people that come to church that don't realize that they're actually doing something that is against God or against the word of God they just simply don't know it and we, we need to love on them and show them the key to the lock of the door that opens grace to them amen repentance is more than a feeling. So repentance, yeah, it does get a bad rap. Repentance is kind of like the red-headed, freckle-faced stepchild of preaching. It, um, it doesn't get talked much about because it's hard to receive. But even though it gets a bad rap, the one reason that it's seldom preached in pulpits is because it's hard for us to humble ourselves at times. In fact, the scripture talks about that if we, if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will raise us up. And so I, I know I have dealt with different things in my life where I tried to humble myself in areas, and and I felt like, man, why is it so difficult for me to do this? But I realized that I got it, I got it backwards. It doesn't say if I decrease, he will increase in Scripture. It says if I increase him, I will automatically decrease. 
If you literally, Paul's saying, if, if, if he increases in my life, if he gets bigger and larger in my life, the only thing I have left to do is decrease. So if you make God larger in your life, you automatically humble yourself. You don't have to try to fight to be humble. Just make God huge in your life. And when you do that, his increase makes you smaller. And you literally lay before his face. And like we were singing, that there's a coal taken and touched my lips. Because there was places in scripture where they realized that when God moved and God touched them, they were so wretched. They realized how holy God was. And because he's so holy, sometimes I sit and I pray. Like last night, I literally could not sleep. I was preparing for this sermon and Lord got me out of bed and I'm laying in the living room on our couch just praying. I'm like, God, why do you interact? Why do you mingle with man? And, and it's just so beautiful how God's willing to take us and use us no matter what we do. But I want you to know today as I'm preaching this message under uh, the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I want you to know that there really is two qualifications to be used of God. You have to have a repentive spirit and you have to make yourself available to God. God. If you don't do those two things, you will stay on the backside of a desert and you'll miss the call of God and you'll miss the moment of chosen. I promise you, God wants to use you in very special ways, but true Pentecost coming to your life must be built upon repentance. Amen? Any effect a walk with God has on your life must be a walk of repentance. Things effervesce to the top of your life that you don't even know are there. And when they come to the surface, you have to deal with them. I, man, I tell you what, I, I deal with things all the time that just show up and I don't know we're there. I, <clears throat> I, had to, I got in an accident and I had to have some chiropractic adjustment done. And whenever I was put in this little room with a doctor that's going to be therapeutic, I had a fear rise up in me because I was abused as a child by a man and I was afraid. I, I'm not this person. I'm like, I was sitting there going, what's wrong with me? Why did I have a childlike fear show up in an unexpected moment? And I had to conquer that. I conquer everything that shows up because I must, I can't stay under it. We're not meant to live under anything. We're supposed to be the head, not, okay, yeah, I won't go there, but I'm, I'm just sharing with you a little bit intimately, maybe too much intimate. I don't know. Maybe it's too trans transparent. But I had to fight everything that showed up in my life from the damages, okay? Because we're layered people. We really are. We're layered people. We have all kinds of things that, that happen to us that we don't necessarily realize the impact of those things. But as we live a repentive life, when they show up, we're like, God, thank you for showing me. I will deal with it. I will not be a victim to it. I will be a victorious in Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't know if that's applicable to some folks here, but maybe you had a strong life and you were um, successful and victorious, but I felt like Moses on the backside of the desert. I felt like David, you know, at times where, where I didn't know why, but I'm keeping sheep. And, and I, you know, I felt like that person. So that was my testimony. But I felt like God may not be able to use me because of the damages of the past. But I want to tell you that with a repentive spirit, it doesn't matter what you feel like. It matters that God wants to use you. And it will, 
enact the will of God in your life if you keep a repentive heart. It literally opens the door, that takes that key of repentance and opens the door to everything that God wants for you because you live for the Lord. Luke 3 and 8 says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you, God is able to raise up children from Abraham uh, children to Abraham from these stones. What, what he's saying is, it doesn't matter where you come from. They're like, Abraham is our father. We have lineage. We have a special right and in the scripture. And so Luke is like writing, recording here that you can be raised up from, he literally can raise up, if God wants to, raise up somebody from an obscure, a stone he even uses, an obscure place. And some of us come from obscurity, amen? Some of us come from the back of the desert, but I'm grateful that I can talk to you a little bit about the fact that God uses people who weren't supposed to be available. I'm glad that God picks from the back of the line, amen? He chooses the kid that would have been left on the fence first, amen? He does call people that should not necessarily be chosen because they don't have a pedigree and they don't have the, the backing, but God uses people. And repentance does make some demands in our life. Second Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 says, Now I rejoice not, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrow, sorry, but that you sorrow led, your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. If you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Everyone say repentance leads to salvation. Everyone say that. Repentance leads to salvation. Godly sorrow produces the key of repentance which opens the door and leads to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Look at Luke 13, 5 and 9. Whenever repentance comes to your life, God requires something of us. It's not just this message that you hear so often in seeker-sensitive churches that we just love everybody and just come on in and it's okay, do whatever you want and we just love you. No, actually there is a requirement for repentance. It's Luke 13, 5 through 9. It says, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God is long-suffering, so he grants a space for repentance, and that's what he says here. He's like, no, you have to repent or you will perish. Verse 6 he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard. So he's talking about a, a particular parable. He says, a certain man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard and came seeking fruit and found, it, found none. He was looking for fruit from this fig tree. And then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit of this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground here when you could plant something else that brings forth fruit? But he answered and said unto him, sir, let it alone this year also. And I, and I will dig around it and I will fertilize it. And, and, and it will bear fruit. I, I know it. The, the keeper was a, was a person that stood in the gap for that tree, amen, with the vineyard owner. He's like, I'll dig around it and I'll take up stuff and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll fertilize it and I'll make it to where it will produce fruit, but do not cut it down. But then if you see that within a year it's not producing fruit, it is your prerogative to cut it down. And so God requires of us things. God, their, their repentance itself is, is something that changes us. I, I, I spend some time 
here and there working with people that I notice are not willing to change their life in any way, but they want God in their life. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to be hard for you to put God in your life because he requires change on every level of our life. He starts to talk to us about stuff. He starts to change us. And even sometimes in infinitesimal ways where we, where we don't even notice it's going on, but all of a sudden we're like two, three months out, we feel like we're a different person. Have you ever been there? And you know God's been working on you. And some of you in this room don't have long repentance prayers because you've been walking with God for so long that you trust the blood of the Lamb. And you spend very little time in your life praying over the things that you might have done wrong that day. But I I tell you this, that even though you may trust the blood of the Lamb and even though you may get up and say, Lord, forgive me for anything I've done today and move on because you really have a faith in the power of the cross and that his sin, that that your sin, is covered by his sacrifice but I, I want you to inter- I want to introduce you today to something that I called advanced repentance and it's not praying in advance for things that you're going to do on accident or do purposely that would be against scripture because the Bible says that we're to pray to the one who's able to keep us from falling literally keep us from sinning but I introduce you to advanced repentance a, a very special key in my life that I found and that is that you can literally pray for people and for things and for situations that are not to that have nothing to do with you amen you can have advanced repentance in your life where you literally get up in the middle of the night and you pray for people and you pray for situations and you're convinced that God's going to move and change. Did you know that you can change somebody's life by praying prayers of repentance for them? Did you know that Job got up early in the morning and offered repentance sacrifices for his children? Did you know that you can pray for somebody and ask God, would you make a gift of repentance? Would you put the gift of repentance into their life? They may not even know their heart is hardened, but you can find a place of prayer. You can seek God for them. You can change the outcome, and you can make something even finish itself in their life by the, rep- by the prayers of advanced repentance. Prayers by advanced repentance. I do this personally, and so I'm trying to share it with you because I know that in my life it has changed me. I know it has changed me. Look at the different things repentance does for us. God's goodness leads us to repentance. Romans 2 and 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that goodness of God leads to repentance? It is God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Everyone say goodness. It's not the fear of judgment. It's not the awareness of God's holiness and our less than All those are great revelations, but it literally is his goodness that draws us to repentance. And Acts 11, 18, it says it is a gift from God. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God, then God, he also granted the Gentiles repentance to life, repentance to life. Acts 5, 31, him God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance is truly a gift. Also one coming to one's senses. It allows one to come to one's senses. 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26. In humility, correction. Those, in humility, correcting those who 
are in opposition. I'm actually, what's funny is I'm reading this in the New King James and I'm quoting it in my head in the King James Version. That's what happens to me up here because I learned the King James Version. Um, so I'm going to try to read it again. And where was I at? And when they heard these things, they were saying, okay, and God hath exalted him. I'm sorry. In the humility, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Everyone say, grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil. Repentance is the will of God. Everyone say, the will of God. Second Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. God commands everyone to repent, Acts 17 and 30. I'm just giving you some word today. Truly, the t- these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. There is no one who does not need this key, amen, of repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Anybody know that guy? Crazy John? You know who that is? Can I, can I use you, Josiah, for a minute? Can I, borrow, can I borrow you? I promise it will be painless. You know, you know who John the Baptist is? That dude that had like really, really weird suits. He had these suits made of, and he didn't have a cool sweatshirt like this. Give him a hand for this rocking sweatshirt. Check that out. It's pretty awesome. Okay, maybe I did embarrass you a little bit. He had a suit made of camel hair. You know, you know, let's put that around you. Pretty. Isn't he pretty cool? He's going to get in GQ this month with that camel hair suit. Yeah, he's pretty bad to the bone. Check him out. You're going to be sweating in a minute, so it's going to be like working out with a with a plastic suit on. You're just going to be soaking, soaked and drenched in sweat. So he had this major, he had this camel. You know what John the Baptist preached? What did he preach? Repentance. His whole message was one thing, one component of the gospel, the death, dying, repentance. That was his message. But did you know what? Did you, did you know that he was the son of a priest? Did you know that? He was supposed to be a good, upstanding priest. But he's out in the wilderness eating grasshoppers, locusts and honey. Was it, is locusts and honey good? Not that I know of. Oh, we're going to have to try some. Can we bring in the grasshoppers? We're going to eat some grass. No? Okay, we won't do the grasshoppers. Never mind. So he was in the wilderness preaching repentance, and he was supposed to be a dignified priest in the city, in the synagogues, but he was a cast out. He was a castaway, but God used him because God ordained him. The Bible even says that God sent one named John, literally sent him to do a purpose. Just like it says that Jesus was sent into the world. Jesus didn't pre-exist as a babe in the womb, but just like John didn't pre-exist, but he was sent to do a purpose, amen? And if you don't ever get a purpose that's bigger than you in your life, you will not be a happy person, I promise you that. You need to, you need to literally exhaust yourself in a purpose that's bigger than yourself. And when you find the moment of exhaustion, there will be a smile on your face because you'll realize 
realize what you're doing is so much bigger than your lifespan, amen? You literally will spend your life dying reaching for something greater than yourself. That's what John was doing. He was reaching for something greater than himself. But when Jesus, oh my God, when Jesus showed up, he said, this is the lamb which takes away the sin of the world, amen? He knew when to point at Jesus and get out of the way. So yeah, everybody thought his camel coat was cool. Everybody thought his his diet was pretty cool. They had like they had like the the John you know St. John diet in the city where they all got skinny eating locusts. No, there what happened with John was he literally gave his life to repentance. And he baptized people under repentance. I baptize you under repentance. There's one coming after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Thank you so much for wearing this thing, getting so hot. Give him a big hand. Who else would like to wear it? No. What about, what about Esther? See, Esther, the key to being available to God and being used by God is having a forgiving spirit, a repentant spirit. Esther was an orphan, but she ended up in the palace. What about others? What about Abraham? He was a nomad. What about Moses on the backside of the desert? But all of a sudden, a bush shows up. And he says, I'll turn and I'll see what's going on here. You know why the bush didn't burn up? Because an eternal God showed up in that bush. And fire, when you like a match, it takes time for it to burn. God's eternal. When he showed up, there was an eternal manifestation in that bush. So the bush didn't burn because there was no time. You see what I'm saying? So when God's eternal, when he does something eternal, he does it quickly, amen? And when you have a repentant spirit and you make yourself available to God, he'll take a David that's got all of his problems and put him in a palace, amen? So David, I, I love the story of David because I just kind of feel like he's every man's man, you know? He can throw down on a harp. He can, he can fight with the best of them. And he can write amazing books. I don't know. He's just a very eclectic individual, I think, in the scriptures. But David had a quality about him that everybody loved. He came from the lowest to the highest. He went from nobody to a monarch. And when you go from nothing to something great, you don't get there without major struggle in your life. And so whenever the priest came to Jesse's house, his father, and he asked them, can you line up? You know, they offered him, the Lord told him, bring him to the sacrifice, all of the stuff. Maybe you've heard the story, read the story. I hope you have. If you haven't, read the story of David. I don't have time to go into all that, but I want you to know that the prophet told him, bring all of your sons. And he brought seven of his sons. Eliab all the way down. And then when he got to the last one, the, the, the prophet comes to the house and he's looking through the children and the Bible actually says in Samuel that God said he's going to give the prophet a name. I'll give you the name of the one. So he looks at the first to oldest son and is like, truly this is God's anointed. This guy is everything that a king should be. And he's ready to anoint him and no, that's not him because he didn't hear the name. And he goes through all of the children. He gets to the last one and he turns to Jesse. Is this, is this all of your children? How many have read the story? Is this all of your children? Do you know, 
theological speculation, the pastor backstory, okay? Are you ready for this? Here we go. Theological speculation. David says in Psalms 51 and 5 that in, I was shaped in sin and formed in iniquity. You go read it. It's in different translations. But many believe, many scholars believe that David might have been an illegitimate child. Because it says he was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. There's only one place where we're introduced to David's mom. We know nothing else about her. It's, it's a theological speculation, but it could be. That's why he wasn't invited to the little party. Because he wouldn't insult his true-blooded sons to bring in the imposter. So he didn't even, Jesse didn't even consider him because he was only half of what his brothers were. Yeah, it's speculation. You decide if you wanted to study it or not. I'm just throwing it out there as a backstory. But guess what? Jesse was still keeping sheep. He was in the wrong place with the right spirit. Amen? So God reached out and said, Call the boy. And so Jesse says, call your son. And he says, we're not even going to sit down until he shows up. Did you know that shepherds can pasture as far as 20 miles away from their home in the Bibles? In the Bible times? that Literally, David could have been 20 miles away. And Jesse and all of the boys are standing there. And the prophet says, we're not going to sit down until he shows up. I, hope, I don't know if David ran or if he didn't, but if you thought that someone was calling for you and there was something going on that you didn't necessarily get invited to, don't you think you'd run? Yeah, you'd, you'd pretty much haul it, right? You'd just be running. And he gets to the house, and I, I just imagine him winded and sweaty and his hair matted and a mess, and he smells like sheep and he stinks, and he didn't get time to dress up and look all good for the prophet like all the other brothers all dressed up and looking good. But he shows up, and God says, don't look on the outward appearance. Look on the heart. And the reason why God chose David is because he was a repentive man, and he was available to God when God wanted to use him. Talk to David and ask him, David, why did you, why did you attack that lion? Didn't you read the manual on lion fighting? Don't you know how many teeth they have and that one swipe of a big paw can take your head off? Don't you know? David just simply knew there was a need and he felt God move on him and he attacked. He got, I got a hold of it and I tore it and I killed it and I put it, its hide on my barn, okay, on my barn door. And then, then asked David about the bear that he had to fight that came after the sheep and he got a hold of it and he did the same thing. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. Why? Because he was available at the moment of need. That's what we have to understand. A repentive spirit makes us an available person. And he put him on his barn door. So then they get to this situation with this huge Philistine named Goliath. And you know what David said? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the armies of God? Who is this guy? Isn't there a cause? Isn't there a reason to go fight? And they're like, nobody's, everyone's scared of this guy. And David says, I'm available. I'll go. Later on, he gets caught in sin, and he's looking out on the roof. He, you know, kings in those days were supposed to go out to war. And had David been doing what he was supposed to be doing, he would have never failed with Bathsheba. He was supposed to be out with the other kings and out with his people going to war. But in the season of war, he was sitting at home, looking out over the balconies, and he sees Bathsheba. And she must have been a really beautiful lady. 
because he wanted to bring her to his palace. And he brings her, and you know the story, and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant, and he tries to bring home her husband and wants that to happen so that maybe if he goes home, he can conceal the fact that that child is his because it might be Uriah's. But Uriah doesn't want to do that because Uriah knows his, his other soldiers are out there sleeping in tents in the wilderness and he sleeps and he stays away from his home. And so then David sends him back with the letter to the captain of the guard to advance out and then retreat and leave Uriah. What a devastating decision to make. Sometimes if you don't have a repentant spirit, you can do things that destroy very, very precious things in your life. I'm trying to close. And this is the part that I want to get at. Then the prophet Nathan came to him, told him a story, and David gets angry at the story. And Nathan says, you are that man. You are the one that caused the injustice. And here's where we see why God chose David. Because he repented. He didn't wait. He didn't block. He didn't hide. He repented. And that's why I believe David was a man after God's own heart. Because he understood the key of repentance. It opened doors for him. The beginning of understanding is repentance. Having a teachable spirit is based upon repentance. The door of grace to God is based upon repentance. God is honored when we change our minds and align our will with his, amen? There's so much more that I could talk about. We could ask, we could ask Elijah, you know Elijah, the Tishbite. When I was younger, I was like, was that like a bad overbite, the Tishbite? It's like he couldn't eat right, had to eat out. Tishbite actually means mountain man. Did you know that? Yeah, the backstory, pastoral backstory. It means mountain man. God, God used a Holy Ghost hillbilly <laughs> to get the job done. He used Elijah. What about Elisha? Remember Elisha? He wanted a double portion. He was found between some plows. He wasn't the guy that anyone would look at and say, that's the successor of the great prophet. Obviously, John the Baptist emptied cities. He had such a message that the city came to the wilderness to hear it. What about Saul? God changed his name to Paul. Jumped an entire dispensation to grab him. I, I want you to know that out of all we do, I want God to move in men's hearts. And I'm not here to impress anybody. Yeah, I, I try to dress up some days. But I'm not here to impress you. I want to impact the city. You can impress people and not impact anything. But you can't impact something without making an impression. It's impossible. And God picks like I said, from the back of the line, and the most disqualified in man's eyes can be the most qualif qualified in God's eyes. Would you stand with me today? I don't know if you have ever prayed a prayer for someone else and you didn't know if it was going to happen or not. But in the days that we're living in, 
in this culture that we're living in. Somebody needs to be on their knees praying for our culture. Someone needs to be on their knees praying for the people. I want to ask you, will you receive the gift of repentance today? Will you see? Will you take the path of repentance and will you choose a spirit of repentance so that you're available to God? I don't know if I have ever sensed in my spirit a time where we need more of God than we have right now. I think I think it's interesting in Revelations eight where there's these you know, Revelations is a is a book of apocalyptic proportion, obviously, and there's seals and there's trumpets and there's all kinds of different things going on. But in Revelations eight there's one thing that happens. There's seven angels and then there's one other angel that shows up and and God puts the whole program on hold for this one angel to go to the altar and take a censer from the altar. And the Bible says that in that censer, he mingled the prayers of the saints. Every prayer ever prayed. That's the prayers of John, that's the prayers of Peter, prayers of, and he pours it out. And I want to be the generation that those prayers are poured out on. I want to be the one that sees people so moved by God that they literally run to an altar and bow their knee to the one who could forever change them. He does pick the untalented. God doesn't call you for your talents. He doesn't call you for your abilities. He calls you because you're you. And if you want to be chosen, just walk in repentance and be available. So this key is available to you today. I think that there are many men that have lived with repentance in their life. Can we draw our hearts to God? And in this day and age in which we live in, it is very important that we know how to teach people how to repent, that we draw them to God with kindness. I repent today in your presence. If you bow your your heads with me and your eyes close, I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance. And that prayer goes like this. I repent for our heathen nation. I repent in proxy for every prodigal that needs to come home. That's let the tinsel of our day and the shiny things and the world's glamour draw them away. I repent for every aborted baby in America. I repent for the wickedness in our government. I repent for the people whose hearts are far from God. I repent for the atheist who curses you with the very breath that you give him. I pray for repentance today. For repentance. I want to embrace the fact in this prayer that we can all stand shoulder to shoulder and make a difference if we'll pray prayers of advanced repentance. Are you available today to pray for those who are unavailable? 
Are you willing to seek God for those who are not seeking God? Is there any advanced repentance left in the church where we can pray for those that don't deserve those prayers, but Jesus died for them? Can we be like Christ and carry those sins and they don't deserve it? Maybe, yeah, that's true, but can we take them to the throne of grace anyways? Where are those who will walk from their chair bow their knee before God and be broken so those that are broken can encounter the glory of God. See, that's the thing. That's what needs to happen here today. It's a hard message, I know, but I wonder if there's people that don't need to come to the altar for themselves necessarily, but they would come to an altar for a brother or a sister that's not saved. I know. I know what that's like or a father or a mother or or a friend who's in need. Oh, the weight, the weight. I don't even know how to finish this sermon, Karen. I just, I know the weight of this is so heavy that if we could somehow find a way to interact with the repentance that's needed in our hearts, we will find that we want to pray for repentance for others. somewhere in moments of intercession or prayer when we've emptied ourselves he somehow increases and steps in and says it's finished in some areas of somebody's life sing Tanya I want to open this altar is there something you need to have God say it's finished it's done no more you're not going back there is there a place where you can search your heart today maybe you don't need to pray maybe you already prayed a prayer of repentance in this room today as we are worshiping or doing something else but maybe there's somebody that you could pray for today maybe there's someone you could put in your mind and take to God or maybe they're in your heart already and you you've been seeking God for them but You need a breakthrough. You need God to move in a very special way for them. There's somebody that needs you. There's there's a government to pray for. There's, There's a mother right now in this city that doesn't know what to do because they don't know where to find a comfort from a marriage falling apart. There's somebody that needs to hear from God and they don't even know how to pray. But you could pray a prayer and proxy for them. You could literally lift somebody you don't even know right now if you pray a prayer of God. Touch an unwed mother. Touch a home where the marriages are falling apart. You can just pray something that general with a heart of repentance and God can change things for them God can move things in the situations you don't have even any knowledge of and you can become like Christ today and bear up things that were not yours to bear somebody here needs those prayers maybe there's somebody you can reach over to you may not know if they're praying for themselves or somebody else but somebody might need to see They might need somebody to stand beside them to do it.